what you can expect out of Black Book is simple. Something you will never in a million years expect. Black Book is, just in my opinion, it's such a return to those early films that Verhoeven did before, you know, coming to America. I, I think Black Book is such a profoundly wonderful movie. He kind of sets that exploit exploitation kind of satire. He sets it down for a little bit and tells a really grounded film. Uh, um, you know, it, it takes place during World War II. You know, anything that takes place during that and it deals with the Nazis, you know, you run the risk of it being kind of exploitative. Black Book, I, I think, is so wonderfully made and the performances are just oh my god man i would recommend that movie like you should watch that tonight it, it is you know and it is a reason that it's also one of the most successful films in that country Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So we are getting close to wrapping up our month on Verhoeven. We just have a couple episodes left. And the movies uh, that we are talking about today are Black Book and Tricked, uh, two very different movies. And we will get into that. So, Mike, where are you with Verhoeven now? I mean, the last the last time we talked, uh, talked about a pretty hideous movie in The Hollow Man. So where are you with Verhoeven going into uh, talking about the Holocaust, which is the next thing we're moving into. Gee, thanks, Dave. Um, <laughs> I was about to say something nice, although uh, I wish people equally... could see this because it looked like you just got slapped when I said yeah. that. Like... <laughs> well, I was going to go back to the old tried and true, like you know, rape bit, I guess, for Verhoeven. Where correct me if I'm wrong, because I watched both of these back to back last night. I don't think there's a rape sequence in either one of the films we're discussing on this episode. No, I mean, the only thing closest in this movie, she willingly kind of goes onto this mission, you know, to end up in bed with this, you know, Nazi commander, but it definitely is not played in a way where she's not enjoying herself. <laughs> do, you know, do you know how sad that sentence is where it's like, well, a woman willingly has sex with a Nazi commander, but he's a but nice no Nazi. Rape. He likes no rape. Look, this is all better than Hollow Man. It is. It there. So, well, that we uh, move to I... the Holocaust, that it's like this is nice. <laughs> you just keep doubling down on that. Uh, you know, we're gonna get there, Dave. We're gonna talk about it. All uh, right, go ahead. But yeah, okay. So it is uh, Verhoeven moving back, uh, going back home, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know this uh, until after I watched it. Um, Black Book. I was like, wow, this looks great fantastic looking movie and then i'm reading like oh it's the most expensive dutch film ever made oh okay all right so it's not like he's you know he's really hustling like you know going back and it's like let's let's get back to the basics now he's going back home and saying like let's show those dumb americans what for and uh did you see what they made me do with hollow man and so they, they gave him money very beautiful picture and uh other than yes i knew it was going to be set uh, during uh, World War II, uh, I didn't really know anything about it. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I didn't know much about it other than kind of like the basic spiel you'll see online. And I was honestly, if I'm being honest, I was a little worried because, <laughs> you know, we <laughs> were coming off of Hollow Man and then we're like, oh, a two and a half hour long epic from Verhoeven focused on Nazi occupation. Like, I don't. Mm. 
I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this. This is a little bit rough. Um, but I did keep in mind, like, okay, he's left Hollywood. He's going back, kind of making a passion project. So I'm interested to see where this is going. Because I didn't know the story of the Black Book, which apparently, like, in, in his home country is a well-known thing. Like, these are this is the book that kind of contained all the people that helped out the Nazis uh, from the Dutch. And it's like, you know, it's a big oh, known thing there. Yeah, I had no idea. I didn't know that either. I just thought, like, you know, that's what you keep your numbers in. Or right. people did, right? <laughs> but that's a, it. But apparently it was a thing. Like, it was a kind of legendary thing known in that country. Um, and it's interesting. <laughs> One of the funniest things about my experience of watching this is our resident expert, Jerry Smith of the Pod and the Pendulum podcast. I had to pause the movie about like, I think an hour and 50 minutes into this to go do something and come back to it. So I texted him like, you know, this is for Verhoeven. This is strangely restrained. Like this is kind of, you know, kind of impressive to watch. Uh, and then I came back and there was a woman having a bucket of shit dumped on her. And I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> like we're, yeah. we were, and that's actually yeah. pretty close to the end of the movie. Through most of the movie, you know, given the fact that there's gunplay in this and there's violence and there's a lot going on, it would have been easy for him to kind of dip into his usual kind of hyper violence and hypersexuality. But it never really goes that route. So I was kind of impressed with how much Verhoeven must have been holding himself back. I'm glad he threw <laughs> holding himself back in there <laughs> as opposed to uh, doing something else like. You know, he's he's got this sort of Uncle Pervy vibe uh, up yeah. to this point. Um, I would say this one, even though there's a, definitely a lot of, a lot of nudity from, in particular, from our lead, who uh, I believe is a Game of Thrones. Yes, yes, uh, I was I was, was going to hold that over you, like you didn't know that. I'm very impressed. Yeah, Carice Van Houten. Uh, well, is, it was a great disappointment to me because I, I watched this and I really liked her performance. She's I'm like, oh, who's, great in this. Who's this actress? Oh, she's on Game of Thrones. So yeah, yes, she's the yeah, like she, the witch woman. Yeah, she with plays red hair. Mel- Melisandre in a uh, Game of Thrones, and that's actually one of the few things I did know because I saw that name and I was like, oh, I know that name. I know who that is. And you know, she's fine in Game of Thrones, but you know, she's not given a whole lot to do. Um, so I was I was kind of concerned going in, like, okay, we're gonna have two and a half hours. She is the main character. I hope she's really good, but I think she's pretty phenomenal in this role. I was really impressed. Looks great. That blonde hair. And, you know, that's, I guess, commented on quite a bit. Yes. Uh, she got the uh, sort of lounge singer look that what we're they, going for What did they keep comparing her to? Jean Harlow? Is that the, the name that kept coming up? <laughs> there's, a, there's a line where it's like, hey, same girl's back. Looks like Jean Harlow now. Like, <laughs> you're not fooling me at all. Like, <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, I, you know, I, I think that they're... There's definitely a lot of twists and turns in this one, and that that maybe yes. just comes from ignorance on my part. But even even if you had the general concept of what the black book is, and um, I I don't know, uh, given that this is truly an international film for us, there are some recognizable faces like mm-hmm. uh, Sebastian uh, Koch Koch. How do you say his name? I think Koch. He was in Bridge of Spies. Like he's he's been in some big films for sure. Also, the classic it's not Coke, uh, right? Uh, like I the think Koch brothers. No, I think it's. <laughs> I don't want that. That's also, so you know, the classic "A Good Day to Die Hard." He was so in uh, that. So, okay. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but other than him, where it's like I recognize that face, uh, I think that uh, that benefits the film with all these, you know, this spycraft and these reversals, these games and double agents, triple agents, blah blah, uh, and that seems like anyone 
maybe other than our lead could be removed from the film at any point. So I actually didn't have a problem with the runtime other than it, (laughs) because I knew it was so long. uh, There are a couple fake outs that don't really fake me out because I'm just like, well, there's still fucking 50 minutes left. So (laughs) obviously this is plan uh, not going to go down that smoothly. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's strange I, thing to it, say, but it is. It is. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if that's like insulting, but I, I feel like if you can remove yourself from like the, you know, historical atrocities, which I don't think the film skirts around that, but but it, it doesn't. Makes these... It doesn't dwell on that either. It's much more about her adventure and her being in danger in the spy craft, as you mentioned. It's not. You know, there is. You know, Nazis are the. I mean, at least they should be. <laughs> They're like the easiest automatic villain. Right, so it's very easy. I don't know if you've been on Letterbox lately, right. but you know they they don't think so. Yes. Way to go! Way to stay up on current events. We were recording well, this early, I only, but <laughs> I only say that because I just you know started using Letterbox this year. Uh, even though I've had a movie podcast for five, and I'm like, all right, fine. I'll put my little smart ass reviews on there. Like here's my instant takes, and I see stuff like that, and I'm like. This is why I don't use I shouldn't use any sort of like social platform because they all fucking stink. They all suck. It's true. Yeah. So the movie, you know, it doesn't focus on the atrocities because it's assumed that everyone knows that Nazis Mm -hmm. are bad, that they did terrible things. So it becomes much more about, you know, her planning these recording devices and the like you mentioned, the twists and turns, the people, the backstabbing within as opposed to the enemy without. Um, So it does become a fun movie to watch. For pretty much, I would say 90% of this movie, it's kind of like, it's a fun adventure film more than it is like a very self-serious film on the atrocities of Hitler and the Nazis. Let's get crude. Let's get crass. It's an Indiana Jones movie with tits. It basically. is. 100%. Yep. And I mean, there's a there's an elongated sequence of her dyeing her pubic hair to match her new blonde hair. I mean, that well, is... Well, I, I see where you're going with it, but I, I was going to say the kind of movie that... we're at. There's there's an emphasis on on breasts in particular uh, in this this film as yes. <laughs> as as like tools of the trade where it's like, all right, you know, what what do you have in your spy kit bond? And it's like, well, you know, these <laughs> And I'm like, all right, I guess it's, you know, maybe if it wasn't Verhoeven, you would you would find that to be uh, a bit much. But because it's him and because we're we're now eight it's the opposite, in, right? Where yeah, you just like, feel right. like. Thank God. He's toning it down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's two tits on every woman. No three-breasted women. No nothing Mm -hmm. going over the top. Well, if there's, you know, Black Book 2, you know, they start adding more gadgets and all that. So, yeah, we'll get there. Of course. Um, Yeah, I I like this. This... uh, There was a film, uh, the Robert Zemeckis one with Brad Pitt. Allied. uh, Yeah, Marie Cotillard, who... uh, Mm -hmm. I think that does a version of this and maybe it's harkening back to what I said, where it's like you get two movie stars. And so I'm like, well, I know like kind of how many beats are going to hit and when they can hit them. And it's not going to surprise me too much. It's just going to drag things out. Um, These actors, even though, uh, you know, very, this is, this is a high budget glossy film (laughs) over in the Netherlands to me. It's, you know, it's, it's just sort of a spunky, Mm -hmm. you know, strange. uh, I, I like what you said, an adventure film. Uh, sort of an old-fashioned thriller. Um, I don't know where it fits. And, I, you know, this would not be one I'd say, like, oh, you like Paul Verhoeven movies. Check no this out. No way. This is, this is the, the oddball of yeah. the bunch as far as what we've watched for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, you also brought up this point where other than our main character, everyone is kind of disposable and you're not 
you know, you're not sure when people are going to leave the scene and when they're not or if they are. And I think the movie sets that up very well from kind of the very beginning. Like, you know, at first, like she's, you know, she meets up with this guy and then they, you know, they're going to escape on this boat and then they are, you know, attacked by the Nazis. Her parents are killed. And then that that guy is killed as well, because at first I thought like, oh, it's going to be these two on the run. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a romance. And then pretty unceremoniously, he's murdered as well. So I like the way that the movie sets that up, that you're just like at every turn, anything can happen. And honestly, that scene when the boat first shows up and the lights flash on, like that was legitimately scary. Like I was not prepared for that because you're like, oh, we're going to, you know, stretch out this escape and it's going to be really tense. And it's like, no, actually right away, automatic weapons. Everyone's dead. She's the only one who survives. And it is a lot. Like from the very beginning. So I like that the movie doesn't really pull those punches, but still, as you mentioned, maintains this air of fun, which is a really hard balance to do without seeming disrespectful. And I don't know about you, but it never felt disrespectful to like, you know, survivors of the Holocaust or anyone that's lived through this. It didn't feel that way. And it could easily tip into that area. Well, I mean, you have a filmmaker who's, uh, you know, living in the shadow of that anyway. Like right. it's not, this is not a, uh, God, uh, I hate to even bring him up. Okay. Here's a name that will never be featured on a podcast directed by, but Brian Singer, Ooh, when he was doing, definitely at, not. <laughs> well, you know, at people I always struggled with because mm. I felt like it should have been, that should have been made by someone with an understanding of the, uh, the fascination with violence, like Brian Singer makes that he's far too close to the Brad Renfro character and right. nowhere near Ian McKellen. Right. And it shows it's kind of, yep. it's kind of a stupid movie. <laughs> and the, you know what? I'm going to pat myself on the back here. Uh, I have enough, <laughs> enough recordings of myself <laughs> saying this guy sucks and he's not a good director before. Good call. Any of that before. <laughs> well any of that. Done. Yes. Just, just, just as a professional, yes. which he's clearly not. <laughs> yeah, yeah on, on any level um, i think one of the most difficult this things this movie has to do is basically through about half this movie at least this becomes a romance between our main character rachel and a, and a, a nazi in charge the good nazi yeah that's the alternate title <laughs> which is i mean that is a leap and a, and weirdly a lot of movies have tried this like this is not the only movie to have a romance within Nazi Germany. Um, so did that work for you or did it become uncomfortable? Cause I found myself actually like, you never forget who he is, but he is played as this very nice guy. Who's trying to do the right thing in a horrendous situation. So how did that work for you? Mm, I'm not going to go that far, Dave. I'm, I'm not going to say <laughs> this poor Nazi is just trying to just, <laughs> just wants to, to collect stamps. And... Yeah. <laughs> No, um, it only works for me in the, the, the context of, uh, of, of the film, what this, our main character, Rachel has gone through where, uh, she's tried to put her trust in people who are part of the resistance, uh, you know, people who have, uh, you know, a Jewish background, um, and none of it works. And, you know, that's pretty reasonable to assume that they're being betrayed by someone that they've trusted, someone that is opposing the, the Nazi regime. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a sequence because it's a Verhoeven movie, <laughs> you know, the pubic hair 
isn't Fulham the good Nazi? And he's he's like, wow, what dedication to you know a Jewish woman who's trying to hide who she is. Uh, but the movie doesn't go where you think it would, where, you know, he's, especially as it being for Hoven movie, I think, okay, this is going to be some sort of rape sequence, right. uh, where he, he's, I was think very worried has, at that moment. Like, Oh God, please don't go. This he has route. more, more control over her. Like he lets her know, like, I know who you are, but that just means I get to sexually use you. Like, you know, and I'm, right. I'm going to sort of hold you under my thumb. Uh, like your life is in my hands. Uh, I mean, there's certainly a threat of that, but they I think they work through it and it's this strangely sweet moment where, you know, she, it's like, she just wants, she just wants to feel safe for like 10 minutes. And yes, it's all wrapped up in this sort of sexual relationship. At least that's how that relationship starts. Um, but then you, you, it's the end of the war and you're seeing all this like backbiting and infighting with the Nazis themselves. So he kind of has a similar situation where he just wants like to be alone with someone that, it's not going to stab him in the back. It just happens. So happens that they're on opposing sides. Right. I, I have to admit, I'm shocked that Verhoeven was able to sort of handle that in such a delicate, that He's sort of balance. He's not the that. director I would choose to handle something this subtle. No. But no. he manages it. I think another thing I really like about this movie is it's very easy when you're making a movie about Nazis and the resistance to them to make all the Nazis really evil and terrible and make all the resistance people, you know, pure and great. Um, but even from the beginning, before all the twists and turns that we get in the last half hour, uh, the character of Hans is pretty aggressive and pretty terrible. Like you can, you can see why she's attracted to him and why they have their kind of romance. But even when they first have sex, like his, the first thing he says is like, oh, at least I get to have you before he does. Like, this is not a kind man. This is, you know, and any form of resistance to a regime that strong is going to end up attracting some people maybe that don't do things for the purest reasons. Like so you might need some of that edge to succeed in something like that. So I like the fact that they played that up a little bit, that it's not just like, Oh, he's doing all the right things for the right reasons. Like he is doing the right things. He's on the right side of history, but he's also kind of terrible. And it actually makes sense Dave, that he's doing these terrible things by the end. We're on Twitter. You know, <laughs> the people that are trying to make sure they're on the right side of history, mm. a lot of jerks, real yeah. jerks on there. I mean, you're not wrong. Like you. <laughs> you like me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I like the fact that like his the fact that he becomes a villain by the end of the film actually makes sense with his personality. It's not just like out of nowhere. Oh, actually, it's this guy. Here's the bombshell of the black book. Like, no, it is a bombshell. And some of it like, I don't know that it makes complete sense or completely tracks. But his personality matches with who he is by the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I don't say I didn't, I mean, I cared in like a sort of fun way. Like, okay, let's, you know, reveal everything. Like, sure. who's, yeah, who, who's, who's behind it all? Like the, you know, the, the great Brian singer, right. From the usual suspect. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's the clip that I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> also, I'm on the record saying like, you know, who, uh, who really deserves all the crap for this? Christopher McQuarrie. Yep. And, uh, probably Seems... always should have. Yep. Um, uh, for me, it was uh, I, I didn't like the scene where she's, you know, uh, shit is dumped on her <sighs> from this like giant bucket. But I, I did like, uh, especially in our times, you know, I'm, I'm making a joke about Twitter, but, you know, the sort of the, the mob mentality when it's like, you know, we've we've <laughs> we've been witness to so many terrible things from uh, people trying to oppress others or, you know, have their way by keeping like a system in place that 
that elevates um, the elite, the rich, you know, but more often than not the white. Um, but, you know, there is that concern of like, okay, when, when things change or, you know, the, the rage overtakes um, people who have a reason to be upset and angry, what are they capable of uh, to the people that they feel have abused them? Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's certainly a territory where um, I think, it was handled better and more one-on-one in this film. But when we get to the mob sequence and they are actually dumping a giant vat of turds on a human being, on a woman that they have stripped naked. So yet again, she's bearing her breasts. And this time we're going to throw, you know, fake shit on this actress. I, I was about ready to wrap this up, Dave. I'm like, all right, I enjoyed this too much. I gave yeah. her hoven too much credit. <laughs> Same and, reaction. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. That's, it's like a big, maybe too much of like a fake where, uh, you know, that he's trying to do his prestige thing where he's like going to have this like horrific thing that just is like kind of takes you out of the movie so that you kind of forget like, Oh yeah, we are still dealing with like a betrayer in their midst. And it happens to be the guy that like comes to the mob and says like, I can't believe you're doing this poor woman. Now I'm going to like <laughs> inject her with insulin. <laughs> it's like, See? it's it, at that point I was, kind of wishing the film like had made made this a little more clean like literally like more yeah clean. like do no, we really need to go that far i had the exact same reaction because you know you already have the mob in that sequence you have them all like clamoring to have these people stripped and be embarrassed and be humiliated do we really need like the rube goldberg device full of poop to be dumped on her like it's already terrible we already get that she's already said like no i don't want you to do this and they strip her naked and they kind of you know put her on display and then you could have the guy come in and save her then it's enough like we don't need the excrement sequence it's not there's there's probably a lot of filmmakers that do it but verhoven you know for this month the one big criticism i probably have against him is if it seems like he he works backwards from some images in his mind that yeah. he's like, Oh, that'd be really, that'll be really jarring. And I'll put that here. Um, and you know, hollow man was the most extreme case of it right. where I was like, all right, you know, enough, you know, one of these things, one of these events, and then like, you know, reel it back in. Uh, but yeah, that's probably the only time he goes, you know, off the rails for me is in, is in that moment. Yeah. And it's a I, long movie. It is a legitimately like probably too long movie. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, there's a there's a lot of things like kind of nested in the movie that that come back and I think really work. Like you have the the insulin moment uh, here. I think still works. I mean, you have this kind of disgusting sequence of her like stuffing as much chocolate in her mouth as humanly possible so she can walk and was that fall disgusting? Are you really, Dave? I mean, I, I just, felt like they focused on it. Like, okay, we get it. She's got to eat chocolate to like look, counteract the insulin. I don't know. I mean, I've seen all sorts of type of films where. You know, the hero in a desperate situation have to, you know, they have to do some sort of like abuse to yeah. their body. I mean, like, I guess in comparison, a eating a lot of chocolate, eating chocolate, stuffing your face. I mean, I do that. You know, I'm watching football on the couch, Dave, and no one <laughs> deems that heroic. So I like that moment. Don't, I, I deem it. I deem it heroic, Mike. The things you okay. do right. for Patriots Nation. You know, we all, we all really appreciate. I mean, I, I assume like the most heroic thing I do that you should acknowledge is this podcast. Watching <laughs> this I mean, this many movies and this much rape this month my goodness uh yeah. is nancy myers around the corner like what, what's happening when's coming, coming soon out? but not soon enough for you i don't think um no. so did you are there any like 
Were there any moments that stood out to you as far as like weak spots of this movie? You mentioned it being like a little bit too long. There are mm. so many twists and turns that you do. I did feel like, okay, not like, oh, this movie doesn't drag by any stretch of the imagination, but it does feel like, okay, we could have probably gotten to this quicker, you know, but it did also like, you know, thinking of things that kind of come to fruition that were planted earlier, the whole sequence with, you know, traveling in the, in the coffin, um, with like the, you know, just enough space for the air and like that sequence where she's like, you know, screwing down the sides of it, like essentially like sealing this man into his death. I mean, that stuff really works and you do feel like at this point, okay, that guy deserves it. Like you don't feel bad for him at all, but the, the way that they film that and the tension that is built in that scene, I think really works. Uh, I would go with, uh, I mean, I, I like the, uh, gratuitous man butt we get where this uh disgusting nazi comes into the bathroom interrupting two women and they're uh <laughs> they say they're girls Whoa. talk Jesus. uh i don't like that that extends itself to yet again um you know having our, our lead character have to pull out her breasts and be you know i i, I feel like <laughs> there's what this film could use maybe a little bit more of is comedy in that moment and mm-hmm. i think there's comedy that you can mine with the stupid nazis and so in this instance he's sort of the rival to the good looking nazi the good nazi i think mm-hmm. is you're on the record of calling him you're gonna edit that uh, out for sure <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you know we've got the uh, the overweight the the balding sort of like disgusting one and i think that scene plays better if he comes in takes his piss and doesn't even like acknowledge them if it's just yeah, if <laughs> i don't think he needs to come in and do like a little villain speech where he like attempts to or kind of threatens that he will like take her physically sexually yeah. i think can't can't that man's gonna be tired that man's had sex <laughs> <I don't, laughs> he's got nothing more he, you know, <laughs> he he's not dirk diggler let's he's not, got let's nothing not, more uh, to give yeah and and again no. i, I kind of mentioned that like they're already very easy villains. Like you don't have to make Nazis worse. Like they're already Nazis. Like you do have to do a lot of work um, with, with Moons, like you to make him a romantic figure in any way, but you don't have to do any extra work with Franken to make him evil. Like he's already a Nazi, you know, he's already lecherous. Like we're good here. So yeah, that sequence probably didn't need to be there, but I do feel like, the movie stretches itself out, and then in the last 15 minutes, it does seem like it's in a big rush. Like, we're going to mm. give you six twists in 15 minutes. And I was just, by the end, I was just kind of tired. And I was like, can we wrap this up? Like, can we figure out where we're going? Because, <laughs> like, it felt like other twists could have been revealed and solved earlier in the movie, and then we'd have less to do at the end. But it did feel like this race to the finish line. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if his interests are in the, the wrapping up that you know, that, that particular aspect of the plot, I think he, you know, he leans more with, uh, having our central character, um, like actually lose her identity in the, in the process of this, right. like, you know, not, not just with this falling for, uh, the good Nazi, uh, but you know, she, it's kind of a, a blunt way of doing it where she's, I guess, framed as being a betrayer to the resistance, which I, Given what happens, 
it makes sense, but I don't really buy that everyone would be like, well, that sounds reasonable. She's just like, you know, it sounds like there's a hand over her mouth, but I'm guessing she's laughing and not like yeah. you know, begging for yeah. her life. <laughs> that scene, it did feel like there were so many moments that like they realized it was reading poorly. So you have other characters be like, oh yeah, she's laughing at us. Definitely. Cause that definitely doesn't sound like a muffled scream in any way. It's just like there had to be a better way to get this across. And it feels like, Maybe in an edit at the end, they've realized, like, oh, this actually yeah. isn't coming across. We're going to have to fix this in post because this really isn't working. Yeah. Is it one of those that, uh, you know, maybe it just plays better if it's even longer, if you're going for, like, true epic? Right. Because I felt like some of the, uh, you know, after she's she's no longer welcome from either side. And, you know, it seems like Verhoeven was more interested towards the end as far as how you know, the, the rightful victors, the, the just ones become very unjust in their dealings with the, the, the losers, the ones who have perpetrated these atrocities, you know, what they feel vindicated and doing to them. And so her and her lover now being, you know, people without a country, uh, right. I kind of would like a little bit more of that because that's over with very quickly. They're out yes. like camping at tent. And then they're suddenly for people who like know that there are a lot of people who want them dead. They're back in the city pretty quickly. Why? At the like, yeah. Yeah. That didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But uh, we're coming across a little negative. I have to, this is one of the like better surprises of, yeah, of this oh, entire podcast. I, I had totally no expectations agree. for this at all. And I really enjoyed it. See, and my expectations were low. Like I felt like, Oh God, this is not where I want to go with Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, this, this makes like, I'm wincing even like walking into this, like Paul Verhoeven does the Holocaust. Like, I don't know, but this, this surprised me in such a good way. Like it was, you know, for him, as I mentioned, very restrained, very even keel, very well performed by our lead actress. Like a lot of times we talk about, like, he doesn't really help out his actors a whole lot, but in this, I mean, I don't know if that's just her being naturally that great and bringing a lot to the role, but I was I was very impressed by this, and I was you know very pleasantly surprised. So yeah, I think we're both on the same page that like yeah, there are things that could have been tweaked a little bit to make this a little bit better, but this was much better than I expected it to be. How do we how do we pronounce this lead actress's name? You're the Game of Thrones super fan. Uh, Carice Van Houten or Van Outen. There you go. Yeah. I just realized I was like we've not actually said we've yeah. used the character's name. We've said she's great. Uh, the Koch brothers, I think, were mentioned because of the the good Nazi episode. Shout yeah. out to them for sponsoring yeah. this, this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I was I was really impressed. It's a really good movie. I would I would actually just watch this one again. I, I, I yeah. think I would like to revisit it because you know, like maybe not immediately because I don't double down too quickly on this time period. But yes, because as we mentioned a couple times, like even though it is set during this horrible time in history, it is strangely fun. It's like an adventure mm-hmm. flick. It's Easy to sit down and watch. All right. So we are going to take a little break. Maybe hear something from our uh, our previously mentioned Verhoeven expert, Jerry Smith of the pod and the Pendulum podcast. And then we'll come back and talk about Tricked. You know what's crazy is that is the only thing he's done that I have not seen. (laughs) It's like such a short movie, but it's just like, no, I haven't seen it. All right, so we're back now, back to talk about our latest Verhoeven movie called Tricked, uh, which is a very short movie, uh, 55 minutes long, uh, and definitely very different. So it was a very interesting double feature (laughs) to watch Black Book 
and to watch this you know obviously this is not a historical piece like in some ways like i think you know i'm going to turn it over mainly to you because you've watched kind of the behind the scenes bit about how and why this was made but like by accident yes (laughs) but god forbid someone would think you did extra work uh, but if you right. told me like this was a first film or kind of like not like a student film, but like a first kind of like experimental film, I would absolutely believe it. So it's very strange that this has come so late in his career. Like I I enjoyed my time with it. I liked it. Um, but it didn't feel like there are some moments that definitely feel like a Verhoeven movie. Right. Like it is very sexualized over the top in that way. But, you know, not a lot of violence. It is much funnier, like out and out funnier than a lot of his previous work. Like, I think there's comedic moments in his previous films, but this, it seemed like he was out to make a sex comedy as, as opposed to like a satire. Well, yeah. Okay. So this, this is a, this is an experimental film, not in content as, as far as like, Oh, it's going to be hard to understand. Cause it's, um, you know, this, this looks and feels like a TV series. Yes. Like, or the, you know, uh, but not a pilot. It's like you dropped into right in an the episode middle. or a couple episodes. <laughs> yeah, right in the middle of something. And so I, for, you know, I guess Dutch, you know, television, this was some sort of contest to see uh, like a choose your own adventure type thing where, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like a Stephen King did with a green mile where it's like, we're going to start something, but we don't know exactly where we end up. Mm. So they were kind of crowdsourcing uh, where the story would go. Oh, <laughs> but it was uh, it's interesting because when they started this, um, <laughs> Verhoeven, from my understanding, you know, got pretty angry and realized that there's a reason like people do this professionally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because like they, they're basically having to tell people like, would you stop? Like, you know, a, a lot of them. And I think, you know, you mentioned like first time filmmakers, um, uh, I was on a podcast. Uh, I think it's with I think my co-host uh, Ben from Nine Nine from Nine Nine said this because he he went to film school, uh, and I'm pretty sure he was in a lecture where someone said like you know please stop having someone just pull a gun out and shoot somebody like when you basically when you write yourself into a corner don't have a character like have a gun on them and they just you know start a gunfight because it's like okay so now the story is that and can only be that right. like. But they can't figure out how like real people deal with each other because people in film school probably haven't had much life experience just yet. Yeah. So They're I guess they were that getting... good at talking to people in real life. So well, you know, <laughs> I'm guessing they were getting a lot of that where it's like, oh, this uh, you know our main character, uh, Rimko is, um, you know, he's a lecherous man uh, who's, I guess, been previously successful, but uh, you know his business could go one way or the other here. And so people were wanting to see him punished. So like, oh, he's fucking around with his wife. Oh, he's going to fuck around with like his daughter's best friend and his son's like crush. We're going to have someone shoot him in the face. And then it's like, all right, now <laughs> we're not <laughs> now, doing that. What, what is the next the next scene going to be his funeral? Like what what type of story are we telling here? Um, so, yeah, that I accidentally fell into it because the I got this on Netflix DVD. And you just, if you just put in the DVD and hit play, you, you watch 45 minutes of them explaining to you. Uh, what this project was, and I'm like, wait, is this a documentary like a uh, uh, like the um, the Terry Gilliam one, uh, where like the film he couldn't make that they mm. had to abandon halfway through? Right. 
and then about the you know halfway so point, that lost just, in la mancha is that the yeah that very good that? movie mm-hmm. um which i actually i guess just the the film they were trying to make the uh the man who killed don quixote i think just came out yep. i think it was just this just year. recently yep haven't watched it yet um but this one <laughs> i was just like it's strange because it's uh kind of a puff piece especially for this project right this series so it's weird to me to get a dvd where it's like half of it's talking about the experience of making it and it's like well and i probably would have preferred that to black book because based on the end result um what would you say it, this is fine but yeah it i mean feels I, like kind of slumming it like purposely slumming it yeah. like trying something different and it was something that i definitely never would have watched unless we were watching all these verhoeven movies right i mean this if you watch this you know, just went into it completely blind, not knowing anything about it. I don't think you'd walk out of the thinking like this director is incredible. I must see more of this. Like it does feel very surface level and kind of silly. A lot of the choices the characters make are kind of foolish. And now I can understand why, uh, given that background where it is this kind of choose your own own adventure thing. Like, you know, kind of our, our main female character, the character that, you know, Remco ends up cheating with a lot of the choices she makes, I throughout the entire runtime, I'm kind of like, but why? I don't like. Why does she start to hook up with the brother? Does it seem like there's an actual attraction there? Except that she's like being daring, I guess. Like this guy has creepily made these like Photoshop edits of her onto naked bodies, and then like 15 minutes later, she's making out with him, and I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good choice. Like, at least with the older guy, the older successful guy, like, I can kind of, I can kind of see why that relationship happens. But I didn't, as I was watching, I did not understand why she went to his wife with the information. That seemed very strange. Instead of, like, because it it played it off like, oh, she actually cares about him and, you know, he's getting screwed over by his business partner. So the whole time I was like, why is she not calling Remco and just saying, like, the baby's not real and hanging up the phone? Like instead it goes this roundabout route where she tells the wife and then the the wife ends up like stabbing the fake pregnant belly with scissors, which is, which, which is an amazing moment. Let's be feels real. very Verhoeven, right? Yes. Like you're, we're going to get some, some element of uh, violence here that you're certainly going to remember. Um, yes. but, and thankfully there's just a pillow uh, underneath, but yeah, I mean, there's okay. So like the, the first sequence is I, for me is obviously the best, like setting up like the party. Yeah. Um, because I, I remember like them thinking like, Oh, this opens up a lot of possibilities because this woman that's faking a, a pregnancy, I mean, in an old fashioned way of stuffing a pillow under her shirt um, <laughs> to, you know, get involved with this man's business partners to basically shame him into uh, giving up, you know, him half of his company that he owns with his wife. Um, she, uh, during the party, um, is going to go into the bathroom and it's clear that she's uh, on her period. And they're they're really proud of themselves because the daughter character gets sick. You know, she's had too much to drink and she comes storming into the bathroom and pukes in that same toilet toilet and doesn't realize or doesn't seem to recognize right. like and so they were saying like okay so now we're keying in the audience to like the direction the story could go because look at this there's already a betrayal and we've managed to introduce that to you with another character who should have seen that but now the audience has more information than even the character who was present in that bathroom right but then they kind of backpedal on that where it's like the daughter like brings that up and it's like wait 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 a minute why didn't you bring that up immediately where it's like you know what's kind of funny about that that's interesting <laughs> right. and it felt like 
Okay, so you left in the hands this in the hands of amateurs to like, oh, that's a where can we go with that information? And it's like nowhere during. <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, you know this is <laughs> this is a Dungeons and Dragons campaign where you know Verhoeven is like thinking like, oh, I can't wait to you know set up this Ravenloft campaign, and then all of his players are just like not paying attention, or they're like right. texting on their phone, <laughs> or they're like you know figuring out what you know to eat out of his you know getting more beer, Paul, and he's like, God damn it, like. <laughs> Focus. <laughs> all these all these plot threads I've left dangling for you and nothing, nothing. Yeah. But I also do think like, you know, granted, the performers are limited by by the script that they've been written by whoever. Uh, but I think they're all pretty good, actually. Like, uh, especially the, the woman who's faking the pregnancy, I think it's particularly good. Like that sequence where they're trying to convince Remco that this is real, like her reaction of like, I'll, I'll take a I'll take a test if you, if you want me to. Like, even though, you know, as the audience member that she's lying. It does feel very convincing in that moment. And you understand why Remco believes her and why he's willing to kind of throw everything away and be like, okay, well, I guess he knows himself. Gotta sell. Yeah. Like, he knows he had asshole. sex with her. Like <laughs> could have happened. Absolutely. And so <laughs> it is played Dave. You're <laughs> the, the way it's revealed to him is like, do you remember that one night? Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the amount of times that you, you made me, you brought me to orgasm. And he's just like, yeah, that uh, sounds like that me. Sounds right. <laughs> So what did you think about the, the choice we have here where the wife is kind of accepting of his lecherous nature? Like, as long as it doesn't bring anything bad to the house, as long as there's no babies, she's kind of like, I know the man I married. So whatever. It's fine. Um, It feels very, uh, I guess, <laughs> un-American to me. Like, as the dumb American, you know, we get eyes wide shut and we're like whoa freaky shit like, <laughs> like our movie stars like i can't believe what they're involved with and that's a film where tom cruise you know spoiler alert doesn't get laid <laughs> tries his best to surround himself by the possibility of getting laid but doesn't here i i, I don't know how it plays <laughs> maybe more enlightened territories but uh, it, it's both a crutch right where you're gonna have characters reveal stuff that in a lot of films that would be the end of it. She's like, "All right, dissolve the company, sell it. I don't give a shit. I don't. I'm not. We're millionaires now. Anymore. It's fine. Yeah, and I don't have to deal with your stupid ass. Like, you know. And <laughs> you're talking about the performances. I like the actor playing Rimko, but man, is he mugging like crazy? Like, <laughs> oh, <just> yeah, like, <laughs> he knows what he's in. I mean, <laughs> it's just eyes are constantly like, what? Like, I did that? Yes, I did. He's like uh, a he's like a, a cornered animal. This whole movie, mm, like constantly I've, terrified. I've been a a naughty boy. Yes, I understand. <laughs> um, it. I don't know. Like, maybe in a longer film, I would have liked the wife character more because. You know, she she basically says that just so she can she can be sort of caught up to the 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 sort of the where the plot needs her to be. Right. It, it doesn't feel like it's really that interested in the dynamic between them as far as having a, an open relationship. It just feels like she just has to be like, yeah, yeah, I know, because uh, yeah. we got to wrap this up in ten it, minutes. It feels like a gotcha moment to me because mm-hmm. you know it yeah. starts out in the beginning of the movie, like you know she tells him like you know if you have anything to do with that baby, we're done. Um, so it feels like it's setting up like she knows she's cheated. He's cheated in the past, but that has to be over now. Well, look and, at her two kids. I mean, she's like, just no, please. No, right. We're not done with that anymore. <laughs> right. And then it becomes there's two gotcha moments, right? The first gotcha moment is like, oh, I know about his girlfriends, whatever. He's going to dump you anyway. Uh, fine. And then the the last gotcha moment of the entire film, like, guess what? I'm actually pregnant. You know, and then there's a very funny moment where she's like, do you want to know who the father is? Like, I think that's genuinely a really funny moment in this movie. But none of it kind of makes sense with her character. 
Like they don't do any work with her well, to get like you to it. that point. It hangs on her like breaking the fourth wall and looking at us like <laughs> I got him. Like I, I think look, we, we have reveled in Rimko's eyes bugging out of his fucking skull. That's a moment where you turn back to him and he's looking at us with like the whole what is happening face. And I just think that he's he's such a goober. Like, you know, he's like yeah. uh he should be a villain, you know, in a movie probably starring you know, Bruce Willis or something like as a terrorist and, you know, instead seeing him as a guy that just can't, he just can't keep it zipped up. And he just knows he's so, (laughs) he knows he's so bad about being discreet. (laughs) Like, I think there's one moment in the film where, you know, his daughter's friend, uh, is wondering if his like business partners like know about her Mm -hmm. and he's like shirtless. And I think he's handing her like a glass of champagne as they're about, you know, to get into bed together. And he's like, nah, nah, of course not. You know, that's not, you know how I roll. I keep things, <laughs> keep things secret, but then everybody knows everything else except for dumb, poor Rim- Rimco here. Yeah. You and- know, I've talked myself into this movie. This may be his masterpiece. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> I do think, you know, and a lot of it, I'm glad you, you know, came to the show with this kind of background because a lot of my complaints, like they actually make a lot more sense now. Like the fact that, you know, these, these two young female characters like magically make up so quickly after their big blow up fight where she's like, you know, doesn't want to waste good wine, but it's like flicking wine in her face and damaging her property outside. And then the next scene, they're like giggling in bed together. And I'm like, I feel like there's about six scenes that we're missing. And of course, in a longer movie, I feel like that fight would last longer and then they would, you know, figure things out. But everything is so sped up in this movie that it just feels like none of these characters are doing things that humans would do. Like we're just because we're skipping so many process steps to get to the point where we have to get by the end of this 50 minutes. It's a little bit of the the Soderbergh route, which I, it's strange. Like, and it's probably going to be a depressing aspect of this podcast. So thanks Dave. You're welcome. We're, (laughs) we're going to look at, you know, the high points of someone's career. And then we're going to get into like, well, it shouldn't just be like, how great were they? Right. Like consistently, we, we should look at the flow of their career. And this one, admittedly tricked is a little more depressing coming off of black book than I would have anticipated because I liked it so much more than I thought. Uh, and that being the most expensive Dutch film and being a big success over there. Um, I, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm, this feels like a man who's coming off like a string of failures. Who's just like, well, you know what? Nothing's been connecting. So I'm going to go, I'm going to try to crowdsource the fuck out of this and see what we come up with. And that's, that's one thing I've held against Soderbergh who I, I think one day, you know, we'll, we'll probably get to him. God yeah, knows he's sure. put out enough content. Yep. Uh, it's like, you know, how, how do you go from you know, doing out of sight, the limey Aaron Brockovich um, <laughs> traffic, Ocean's Eleven, like you, you talk, that's a stretch right there. That's, yeah. you know, that's, I assume that run is on your podcast. Uh, what? Why are you making movies on your iPhone now? Like, what <laughs> right. is it? Were, were you just bored? Just bored. I, I'm convinced. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this one makes less sense to me because I would think, you know, going back home, like with Black Book, Verhoeven is like the, a returning champion. Like, yeah. he came back and and made this. You know, I believe I read somewhere that that was like voted, uh, you know, for for his home territory. That's their favorite film of all time. Like, right. that's the best like Dutch film. This. So doing this. It's like, what is this? Were you, did you have faith in people? Like now I'll give, I will literally give one to you all. Tell me what to make. <laughs> yeah. And 
I mean, I mean it's it's fun, but I think it's only fun right. as an experiment. Yeah, it's like fun and disposable. Like I, mm-hmm. if you ask me about this in two weeks from now, I am probably not going to remember a single thing from this movie. And you know, always a scary thing to see a fifty-four minute movie with eleven writers. That's always mm. uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a bit worrisome. Uh, yeah, so I don't have anything horrible to say about this movie, but it's not. I mean, it's barely a movie. I don't think it even really <laughs> counts as a film. Things just seem very cobbled together. And it, you know, had I not known the background of this, it just does feel like, well, we have a beginning point and an ending point, and we got to get there somehow. So let's let's do some crazy stuff in the middle. And none of it really makes sense. Uh, and I ended up kind of feeling bad for the actors involved because it's like there does have to be a lot of mugging in this movie because it is very soap opera-like, like all these events are so huge and so massive that it's like, what are you going to do but mug in these moments? Like, this is not a subtle story to be hey, told. Man, we, we've both been on podcasts where there's like multiple guests. So, you you, you know, you pick your spot and it's like, God damn it. I'm going to do, do my best three minutes here because I want all the attention yep. on me. I want, the, I want it to true. come back to me. Uh, and I want people to to click on my podcast later, not this shitty one that I've like forced myself to sit it's in your, on. Your Remco moment that is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think this is a pretty good example of uh, you know our our book that we're gonna have, you know, our companion book to this podcast, Autors for Assholes. Because if people question, like, well, yeah, I mean the director, but you gotta have the writer. You know, if you don't have the writer, you don't have anything. Well. Yeah, this is one where uh, he was. I don't think Verhoeven was able to get his hands around it. I mean, there's some of the stuff that he has particular hangups about. I don't mean that in a bad way, but stuff he likes to put in and explore. Uh, but here, it's just like, you know, it, this is why you pull back and you say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my moment where the bucket of shit is dumped on someone. Get me there. <laughs> as yeah. opposed to, as opposed to, this is like scene after scene of Verhoeven is like really we're doing that like okay all I'll, right I'll, I'll figure it out i guess and <laughs> hey buddy <laughs> i need your best surprise face yes i know i asked you to do that yesterday but <laughs> do another one you're you surprised again yeah <laughs> take one out of that back pocket yep. yeah absolutely so it does make me glad that after this he came out with another movie because i would have hate to end our verhoven month on tricked that would have been a rough way to end because it is sure it is very strange for this movie to come so late in his career i would love to hear his thought process about why he chose to do this right after black book. But who knows? There's a pretty good quote on the DVD um, <laughs> where he's just sort of asking the room. He says, does, uh, does anybody think this is a bit, bit cheap or what? <laughs> it's just like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <it is. laughs> yes. So we will have one more episode where we'll cover his most recent film from 2016 L starring Isabelle Huppert. So, Mike, this is a movie that you've only seen one scene of. So what is your mindset with Verhoeven going into L? Well, I had one episode uh, taking a break from rape. And uh, we're going to get Not anymore, buddy. The very first scene. And uh, is it good or bad to, to know that it's like, well, at least that's going to be like what the film's about, right? It's not just thrown in there to like, right. you know, punish the secondary character. Uh, but yeah, I... I <laughs> put it on one day and i'm like nope nope not <laughs> not in the mood for this um so yeah i mean I, now I'm you've got force homework myself to do it. That's it. it this is definitely going to be uh homework um but i thought black book was going to be homework too yeah. and had a blast with that one 
don't know. I don't you know. anticipate I'll have a blast with <laughs> yeah, Elle. Yeah, like that might be the wrong way to look but at this. <laughs> I sure do like Isabel Hubert though, so she's really good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so in our next episode, we will be watching L. And until then, you should follow us on social media. Check us out at Directed by Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, make sure to uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about our show. And hopefully you're enjoying it so far. Uh, feel free to drop us a DM on Twitter uh, to tell us how we're doing and tell us what you like. Maybe less about what you don't like. Just focus, focus on the positive, folks. Um, so we will see you next time on our last episode of our of our episodes on Paul Verhoeven when again we take a look at L. So we will see you next time.